welcome to the Lakeshore Records podcast, On Cue with... I'm your host, Aaron Valing of The Lingo, and I'm on cue with Jim Williams, who is the score composer for Possessor, which is Brandon Cronenberg's phenomenal new film. Here we go. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, this is... First of all, your score is incredible. Um, Thank you. (laughs) So we're going to talk a lot about that, obviously. And the film itself was something, it's really unlike anything I've seen probably ever, um, but certainly in the last several years. Um, So I want to dive into something right away, which is uh, when you actually saw the finished product after working on it, uh, what did you think of it? What was the initial reaction you had, visceral reaction? Well, um, I haven't actually seen the finished product yet. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> but I've, uh, I've been so immersed in the process of getting to that point that, um, you know, I know inside out, I just feel that it's, um, it just has such a very kind of consistent style to it throughout. It's got this kind of icy coldness, but you're, you know, you're, you're also on this ride, this emotional ride and this, slightly dark ride of just moving, moving forward and, and, uh, in, in through this ridiculous, just horrific world actually. But, yeah. um, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was great. It was a great thing to, to try and score. It was, um, visually it's so stunning. So sometimes you can just sit back and let the score point the, the viewer to the image because it's so strong. Right, right, exactly. Uh, it was one thing I liked about it was the consistency and also the fact that there's a very strong character development and the emotional component you, you touched on. You know, it's not just style over substance. I mean, he, he really, Cronenberg and then the, the cast uh, all really bring everything to the table and including you with your score. Uh, did you, what was your experience with the film early on? Were you, were you, did you get a script and you were working with that or were you scoring to the picture, as they say, scoring to picture? I had, I had a script. I read the script. Um, I'd also um, worked on a short, which was a kind of demo for the film called Please Describe Your Experiences As They Come To You. I think that's it. Oh. Um, which was that, that Brandon did and it used quite a lot of the effects um, that Karim used in the final film. Um, and so I come up with some mostly sound design ideas for that to try and um, drive the, the kind of implant, brain implant concept. Right. So we had, we'd had a dummy, dummy run kind of thing. And then um, we had to talk. We had a um, Skype. Remember the Skype? Oh, yeah. Free <laughs> <laughs> Zoom Skype. And um, we, myself and Matt Hannum and Brandon discussed flavor of the score and we talked about how really it was going to be quite an ambient one as well as a kind of sonic one oh sure uh, although actually i think in the end I, I i put some stuff to them that had a bit more emotional depth to it and harmonic depth and that didn't, went down quite well quite a lot of it i mean it's i would i would say it's an ambient score yeah. but um it does have some some fairly emotive um components to it, harmonically speaking yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's, it, 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 there is an ambient leaning, but it's also, you know, it's, it, it's very rich in the sense of it, it, it complements what's going on and in on the screen and brings out sort of a clarifying, there's a clarifying side to it as well, where it's, you know, 
you can see what's going on. I don't know. You, you sometimes don't believe what you're seeing, but stuff's happening and it's just surreal. And then your score comes in and sort of, sort of strengthens uh, that narrative. And like you mentioned, Matt Hannum, the editor, uh, you know, his, what his, he did an amazing job as well in terms of just building that rhythm and everything into the, the narrative. So it, it just really all came together uh, with some of these scenes that I was thinking of as I was watching it uh, in preparation for this. And how many times were there, were there any sort of scenes where you you, you saw it a dozen times, a couple dozen times, and you're trying to, to write a cue to it and it, you know anything that sort of just really, at some point you had to just shut it off because it's so intense. There's some very intense images in this. Yeah, it's a funny one, like, you know, because I'm really focusing on, on what I can do to drive the narrative, help the audience get involved. Um, so I, I'm detached in a kind of, in a professional way, really, because I'm, I'm focusing on, on another thing, you know. Um, although there are moments where the the music and the sound kind of, go along with the with the energy on, on, on screen. Very often I'll take a different standpoint so that I'll be a little bit like the straight man when someone's when the other guy's telling the joke. Oh know? yeah. So the guy tells the joke and the straight man is is just deadpan and so the joke stands in relief more. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if there's something horrific on, on screen, then sometimes I'll think, well what is it that's horrific? Is it is it the action? Or is it actually what's happening to the character or, in this case, happening to the transformation of the character? And that's really interesting. That was a very interesting thing about this film. Two amazing performances transformed, uh, the same character transforming into another. Um, This was just meat and drink to me. I love that kind of thing. So um, uh, writing for that was really, really rewarding. Right, right, and and what's interesting is is the the music. So you have a like a you have a classical and jazz composition background, meaning you are you're very technically proficient, and and you know you know music theory and everything like that. And so this is a, a little bit different experience uh, from that kind of music. How do you know? I guess everybody asks this. I ask this a lot, but especially people who don't know anything at all about how scores work. Like, how do you know what sounds to choose for uh, the the film? How do you know not to do a, a Herman-esque score or something, you know, or a, a Hans Zimmer type score, you know, something bigger? How do you know not, not to do an ARP heavy, um, you know, Jan Hammer? There's like, there's all these sort of different styles. How do you know what style to use? Well, the, you know, the, those kind of scores aren't really in vogue, actually. You know, um, I mean, when you say Bernard Herrmann, I suppose Taxi Driver would work. Yeah. But possibly not North by Northwest or something like that, you know, because those kind of bombastic scores kind of work for, um, you know, something like um, Indiana Jones and John Williams. And sure. Because that's like actually, yeah, and it's a nod to a, to a different era, actually. And the audience are included in that kind of disclosure and nod. Whereas now, if I if I I find that you know the, the whole the knife goes in and a big scary slab of sound comes out, isn't really necessarily audiences are so used to that now. You know, how many ways can you make the audience the audience jump? Well, I'd rather kind of get under the skin a little bit more. Oh yeah, make them suffer slightly more slowly than just go, "Oh dear, that was that was frightening." 
So um, to go back to your thing about the score, the, that style of scoring, you make a, dis, a, a judgment. You know, uh, I have on occasion used that kind of language out of context because it's it's that's uneasy in itself. You know, if if, if you do something that's definitely a, a jazz, you know, a fifties jazz thing, you're kind of taking it away from from the action that's in front of you. Now, problem is not many directors will go for that because it's actually quite experimental if you think about it. Right. So most, most directors will go for the obvious and there'll be a deep, a deep drone or there'll be a, you know, a whatever it happens to be to try and make the audience feel uneasy. Yeah. But I, I give the audience a bit more. I mean, people know an awful lot of music now. They digest music constantly. Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon and all that stuff and music is just there all the time. So your audience are very used to these tropes that music bring brings to us every day. So I think it's so for me it's using using artistic decisions and artistic decisions every musician makes them. It doesn't matter if you're writing your first piece on your laptop or whether you're writing a score with an, an orchestral score. You make a decision about how it's going to affect your audience or your viewer in this case. And those decisions are key. Um, so I'll make a decision not to do something horrific and I'll do something beautiful so that the horror is more horrific because it stands alongside beauty, for instance. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that you, in in Possessor, when you, you were talking about getting under people's skin, um, that is definitely the... I think that's the feeling that that the viewer often gets, uh, especially as the the main character is sort of grappling with her identity. Um, you know, as you know, the, the the film is essentially about corporate assassins and corporate corporate uh, tomfoolery, uh, and they use you know technology to um, get close to without giving too much away. They use technology to get close to their targets, and in the process, there's this sense of um, they're losing themselves and confusion and uh, just this highly histrionic sort of disposition going on. And I think there are times when you had this sort of electronic minimalism, maybe it was like a pulsating kind of sensibility or something, which was way more disturbing than if you were just doing some stabs or something like that with, with uh, the music. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just those decisions. You know, sometimes the other thing that you have to be careful with is the avoidance of cliche because, mm-hmm. you know, especially ambient music is used so much every time you see uh, a wildebeest drinking at a pool, there'll be some ambient music over it sure. sometimes, you know. Yeah. And so th- that kind of underscore is so common. Then you need to work hard to try and bring something that makes it different, you know. And so, so I'll use a lot of sonic experimentation but i'll also maybe bring in some kind of modal thing that you wouldn't necessarily hear on um on like the kind of production music side of things um and i find it quite difficult actually it doesn't take long to write a a fairly robust kind of classical piece of of um you know chord progression sure but when you're going through a process of of kind of um selection and you you have to try stuff out you know so um it's not necessarily a quick fix or anything. Um, right, right. It's okay. It's all part of the, the joy, isn't it? <laughs> and, and you have experience working with, uh, it, it seems like you, you've done a lot of different types of films. Um, 
some genre, uh, some of the, the sort of uh, Ben Wheatley's films are a little different, obviously different than this. Uh, what, what is sort of some of the commonalities that you have in your scoring? Is there any sort of, uh, sort of toolkit you always go, go to for each film that you work on, despite the genre or, you know, the, the story? Um, obviously I have some sounds I, I use, uh, you know, over again and again, but, um, sure. really you discussed at the beginning of the project, you discussed with the director, you know, what are we going for and what would you try out? You know, is, shall we experiment with this? Shall we try that? So, uh, you come up with an initial palette of sounds or an approach, so it might be a harmonic approach or a, you know, they maybe want a metallic element to it. So therefore, you go through some ideas with that and then figure out what else you can bring to it. Um, you know, you get I get things like it has to be childlike at the beginning, but then transform it to okay. genre and then horror or whatever, you know. So you have a discussion and you come up with a kind of palette, like a painter would, you know, and then oh, you sure. mix the palette. And then you change your palette because actually mm-hmm. what happens is there'll be a reflective practice going on between yourself and the production where you'll try something and it'll get knocked back and you try it something else. I'm That's sure. it. And the process goes to and fro like that until once you get, I mean, I, I like to work thematically because once you have a strong theme for something, then when when you're approaching that character later or, a different version of that scene later, then you have a link with it, you know, so then you can do some variations with the theme. Whereas if it's just kind of continual jukebox turning out music, it's a little bit unsettling because it's like a bottomless pit of (laughs) turning out different stuff. Whereas I like some strands. I don't mean anything too on the nose or anything. Sure. I'm just talking, you know, you have the thoughtful protagonist, and that kind of theme goes through. It'll change, but it's really nice for me to have. Some directors say I don't want any themes. You know, they want it to be almost like it's kind of like a like a playlist. But, um, oh, sure. It's more difficult. I find that more difficult. It's harder to get a grip of it. Sure, sure. Uh, for Possessor, uh, was there any sort of uh, favorite scene or character you scored for? Um, I like the scene where Colin is. Um, kind of reflecting on it's not well i don't want to give too much yeah. away but one of the characters is reflecting on the past and, and the situation and um i had i, I gave it to um Brandon and matt before the edit this piece of music and it's a kind of it's uh it's a lydian it's it's a kind of it's it's a bit like blue and green the, the bill evans miles davis tune oh yeah and it, has, it starts with the same chord but it doesn't go into the kind of jazz substitutions and, and you know um alter dominance it right. it just uses more clustery beautiful chords actually and within it is a, is a kind of weirdly distorted slightly pitch shifting theme it's played on a kind of you're not sure what instrument it is and it's a very small sound and that develops subtly throughout the film until the end when it's almost completely enveloped in the texture. I really like that. I think it's very um, compelling emotionally. Um, I also really like the um, scene. It's a kind of, um, after a transformation, there's a long, thoughtful 
um, ambient piece, which, which I'm happy with. I'm particularly happy with a really horrible section of the film involving a mask and distorted. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, um, everybody who's listening, you know, you, you, you go see this film when, however you can, uh, if it's in the theater or if it's on VOD, uh, because this scene that Jim is talking about is one of the most powerful I've seen in years. It's, it's amazing and very messed up. Um, but, <laughs> but it's messed up in a way that has to be in the context of, it has to be that way. The way that, the way that it plays out, the symbolism behind it, um, the artistry, it's, yeah, it's great. Um, and yeah, it sounds like you had fun uh, at that part. <laughs> I did have fun at that part, but partly because um, my wife did the vocals. Oh, wow. And she, she also did the vocals on Kill List and Ben Wheatley film and various yep. other, all of Hotel Babylon. And she's a wonderful singer. And she's seen plenty of horrific images as she sings along to my scores. But she, she actually had a bit of difficulty with that one uh, for the first time. And, uh, and she was like, oh, dear, you know. So she didn't run out or anything, but we had to take it, we had to take it again. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, I, I need to go see the movie again uh, because that that scene, I think there's a lot going on as well. There's multiple layers. I feel like this film, it's something that has to be seen and heard multiple times to really fully get all of it because of how, uh, how rich of a tapestry it is. Everything's woven together and you, there's all of these, these, these layers I think that are going to be there that you won't, that you might not have noticed the first time, maybe some, some, um, Easter eggs, something as simple as that, or maybe something more um, artistic or symbolic. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's interesting. Like, how do you, how, how do you score to something that's densely layered also? I mean, it's, there's, it's a very, there's a lot going on and it's um, very demanding of your attention. How do you, how do you pull that out in the music? Well, I think the, the thing with music is that um, even as in terms of basic bar lens, you know, if if, if you if you think about it, it, it always has a, a kind of structure, and the more structure it has, or the, the stronger the structure, um, the more the chaos is, on screen becomes compelling. Now, this is an unusual viewpoint actually, because if you have, um, uh, for instance, one of the best bits of scoring ever the shower scene and cycle, the chaos happening on on screen is exactly the same chaos that's happening on the score. And that's a kind of, that's it, you know, follow the action and see what happens. Whereas I kind of think, okay, so what can I put here that is kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost triumphant, actually. Mm. You know, I did this in another film called Raw, where there's... um. Of a, a, a chaotic, you know, moral scene, and the music is, is has a very strong structure harmonically, but it's almost like it's triumphant, as if something is taking over. Um, it's not a good thing necessarily, <laughs> and it's not a good thing in possess, possessor. But when you have this kind of, I wanted to be quite sort of um, primeval and primitive, um, and so. You have this other thing happening. It actually happens at the end of Killless as well, where other forces seem to take over, and the music kind of does that too. It goes the other way. So 
yeah, by having that kind of primeval chant, then it's it's almost like it's there, there, there's another audience looking at it, you know, so it points right. the audience towards the, the chaos on screen. Right. But so that's the intention, whether it works. People have to make the choice. Them. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's interesting you brought up Raw, uh, which is a very interesting movie um, about uh, basically a veterinarian who is, I think she's vegetarian, and then she tries meat and becomes, you know, she has like a craving for flesh. It's a bit far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an intense, and, and the director, what's, it's Julia. Julia Ducorneau. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So, okay. So we have that film. We have this film. Uh, ben Wheatley can get very intense and um, c- creative as well. What attracts you to these kind of films? Well, I get the call. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and I, I, I like the, you know, these are really creative directors. Yeah. You know, this is, um, they're really trying to do something exciting and interesting and different and, you know, that's what attracts me. That's fantastic because a lot of a lot of stuff you see on screen on television, well, certainly UK television, it's like really, you know, we're going to have this again, and uh, <laughs> and it's you know the person's walking towards the house and there's a drone and it does not have any, doesn't say anything to me. Right. So um, when someone's willing to try out the things that Brandon was up for, and you know, Brandon's experimentation with visuals. Kareem is amazing, some of it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, lighting, you know, it's, it's all, so it's just a great thing to be part of. It's, it's slightly different being a composer because you you come at the end, you know, and, and all the all the kind of hanging out and set and trying different lenses and lighting. I don't know what I'm talking about here, but, uh, you know, you're not part of that kind of process. You're part of the process afterwards, but you're very, very much involved with the director. Right. It's constant, constant dialogue about um, virtually every note. So um, it's slightly different, but it's just such a great thing. You know, yeah. you got the first night and it's like, wow, look what we did. I think that that's you you hit you hit something on the head here which is that with these films you have people who are they're, so they're they're smaller films so people um they're, they're they're smaller films and they're they're the writer uh and the sometimes the writer and director are the same sometimes they're not but it's a smaller scale and you're you're right there with them and they're people who are trying out new things they're they're testing the boundaries of film in some ways i think what's great about brandon is um, it could be very easy to constantly compare him to his dad, David Cronenberg, who himself years ago was doing some of the same sort of experimental challenging work that his son is now doing. But I wouldn't, this is very much his, his own project and his Absolutely. own vision. And Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I thought, and that's very clear when you see this film It's okay. You know, you go into it thinking, Oh, there's the, the, the surname is the same. So let's see what happens. And it's, it's not the same. It's, it's different. There, there might be an ode or two as a son would give an ode to, or two to his father, but beyond that, it's, it's his own vision. And, um, you know, when you're working in that, when you went into it, did, was there any sort of, 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 did you have any of that sort of historical Cronenberg in the back of your mind or how did, did you go into it just completely blank and fresh? How does, how does that sort of work? Uh, I went into completely blank and fresh. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the same as, um, listen, Ben Wheatley will say to you, he's really influenced by Scorsese, right? Right. I'm not going to go and watch lots. Actually, I've seen every single Scorsese film. <laughs> Many oh, times, yeah, but, um, <laughs> you know, so but I'm not going to go, oh, I'll check out Scorsese and see, if, see what the comparison is because there's no point, actually. And, you know, it's, just, it's the same as a musician, you know. Uh, you know, when I was a session guitarist, I would do a solo and to me it would be just like a bog standard yeah. Eric Clapton-style solo. And then a colleague would say, hey, uh, did you play the solo on that? And I'd go, yeah, how did you know it was me? So it just sounded like you. So oh. the, person, the person comes through, you know. And that's just playing guitar, never mind anything else. Yeah. But if you're going to create something that's as involved and multi-layered, that's written and directed and and coordinated by one person, you know, if your own personality doesn't go through, there's something <laughs> crazy going on. So no, I, I, I don't really feel there's, there's much um, need to nod to David Cronenberg at all. The, the one thing, I, I think the one thing we mentioned entire time during the scoring was that I I, 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 was getting, I was putting an old VCR in a cupboard and I said to Brandon, I said, when I was at school, the thing that we did with the VCR that was really exciting was freeze frame the head explosion in uh, scanners. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> it's to see what happened, you know, David Cronenberg. Yeah. And that was the only time I ever mentioned his father. And he went, oh yeah, did you see the shotgun? <laughs> wow! And actually, we never did. So uh, I learned something there. Yeah, yeah. I hope I haven't given anything away there. But. No, no, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, what. What is the so? What is what did your recording space look like for Possessor? Is it did you record in your home? Did you have people with you? I'm curious to see to learn what your environment was like when you were creating. Yes, yeah, so um, I have a studio here, which is a real mess, so I'm not going to show you it. <laughs> um, um, yes, I do some recording here. I always, go, I, we always mix in a much bigger studio because you just got, get more of an idea of the frequencies and I, and I get my guy in to, to make it all sound fantastic. Um, but I do the rec- usually I do the recording here, actually. If it's something like a harp or, or something, I'll, I'll go to the studio because... Um, you just yeah. need to, you know, the, the sound, um, whatever it is. Um, sorry. Um, but usually the process is so quick. If you think about it, it's not, it's not And if I was doing a period drama that was purely for an orchestra, you write it, you demo it with samples, you play it to them and then you all agree on it. And then you go into the studio and you record the orchestra. Oh, sure. That doesn't work like that at all. The way I work, I'm continually experimenting with sound um, analog effects and stuff like this. Um, so the idea of me going into the studio and trying that is just it's logistically impossible. So yeah, a lot of that happens in here. 
Yeah. And you, the stuff I have because I'm sending some stuff. Okay. Got it. And this was something you recorded this last year. Is that when the film was made mostly? Yep. Okay. Yep. Finished it just before Christmas. Okay. Excellent. Uh, and, and so you're in the studio and you have analog equipment, you have digital. Of course. You're kind of going through tweaking. How, how, how are you like right on deadline when you're submitting the cues to, <laughs> to Brandon? Or are you going, like, how are you, you know, are you, what does that workflow look like? I, I ask because sometimes people are tweaking something till the very last minute, right before they have to send the file over. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, um, I will make a decision on it. You know, I think because I was working in television, um, you need to have everything finished, like an album worth of material finished yeah. on Thursday. And so they, they, that kind of constant revision, you know, is the hi-hat shuffling too much or perhaps is a little bit high-mid on the vocal, you know, you just have to make those decisions as quickly as you go along to get it delivered. Now, for movies, the deadlines are usually, the movies I do, the deadlines are festivals, you know. Yeah. So the feds will be, we need to get it done for Cannes, we need to get it done for Sitges, we need to get it done for Sundance. And, and that means that there's usually quite a lot of scope for, Usually the director to continually want revisions. Right. Um, so it's um, it's part of the gig, you know. Um, sometimes you think you're nearly there and then you tweak it one more time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, so, some of these cues, you know, there are 20 versions. Wow. Until we get to the right one. And then, and then how do you know which ones to put on the soundtrack album release? The ones that make it to the movie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um interesting uh you had mentioned tv I, I wanted to just get in get a little bit of your background uh i know that you've obviously worked on a lot of different films um you've worked in television uh you know, was it hotel babylon was was a, a show you worked on right and um harley street and some others uh how did you get into scoring at all Okay, um, well, I got in a band, um, and I got I was pretty good. And then um, I met some other guys, and they said, you should try this guy in your band, and then I'd be in their band, and then they'd say, oh, we'll do an album, and then I'd do their album. Oh, we're writing a thing for an advert, and I'd write the advert, and like that. You know, it's, um, there, there's no, um, there was no, um, I'm putting in an application to become a film composer. Please <laughs> consider. Uh, it's a question of, being a musician and doing great work and and, it's, and people think, Hey, this guy's interesting. Let's, let's try him out. And that's literally how it's gone. You know, I don't have a team of people continually going around studios going, please use Jim. Right. I sit here and people come and say, would you like to try working on this film? And I go, let's see the script. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then you've developed a, obviously we, we mentioned Ben Wheatley. You've done, I think at least four of his mm-hmm. films. Um, and so there's obviously, you know, people who trust you multiple times to, to, to develop that kind of relationship that you sometimes see in, uh, in Hollywood with a director, you know, sort of relying on uh, certain composers to truly help them realize their vision. Uh, and, and how did it come to pass that you, you worked with Brandon? Was that just something where he, he saw one of your other films? And um. I think he did see. It. I, would have, I would have thought he would definitely have seen Raw. Yeah. Um, usually, as a fan of David Cronenberg, actually. So, um, 
that was always a bit of a body horror oh, sure. relationship there. Um, and also the producer on the, the English side of the production is a guy that I've worked with a lot, um, Andy Stark. So, um, and he worked with Ben Wheatley. Okay. Um, and I've, I've done another couple of little movies with, with Andy too. So, yeah. Excellent. It's, um, yeah, it's just a safe pair of hands. Might be quite exciting. Let's see what happens. <laughs> uh, what sort of projects are you working on right now that you can talk about? Uh, Any? Well, <laughs> I'm just finishing a, a really cool documentary about British folk horror. Oh. So um, it brings in... It's really good by Kayla Janice, and um, it brings in everything from 60s um, M.R. James ghost stories through to the Hammer stuff, The Wicker Man, Its Final okay. General, Blood and Satan's Claw, Ben Wheatley, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I've done some music for that. And oh, nice. So that's going to be finished soon. And I can't release really, those two things. I'm I'm down to do possible period drama, three parter for television, and a new movie. Okay, excellent. And with with the with COVID nineteen, you know, you seem a little bit better poised in the sense that you are doing most of your creating at home, so you're not necessarily having to do too much going out into the world. Is that right? Absolutely, but that, yeah. but that's the. Th- that's the life anyway, you know, I mean, yeah. um, I wouldn't like to work till two in the morning and then have to cycle home and right. a couple of miles, you know, because that's, that's the reality. So while, while I can work here, um, it's just, you know, you, you get an idea and I, I get a lot of ideas when I, when I walk the dog and when I lay my head down to, to sleep. So, um, it's quite nice to then just go, Hmm, let's try it. <laughs> that's that's awesome um and th- 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 i'm just picturing you you're sort of going you're walking your dog down the street and then some sort of cue comes to mind a melody maybe or a you know some sort of um arpeggiation um maybe a sound design item uh, I know usually it's usually an approach it's yeah. usually a, either a, a different harmonic approach or okay. why not try um Doing something really nasty to that sound or something. <laughs> Introduce some distortion filters and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I talked to somebody who who would run their synthesizer through one of those orange boss distortion pedals yep. and do all sorts of funky stuff with it, which is really kind of cool. Those are that's an older school pedal for those out there who don't know about it. Um, it's it's uh, very much not a a, a digital virtual in- instrument or effect. So it, it has a certain sound to it. Um, I use some, um, some Ebo on the possessor soundtrack. Oh, so that's what I thought I heard. Um, <laughs> because it's uh, filtered. it still sounds like it's like it's an Ebo guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who was the, the most famous for the people out there who might've heard an Ebo in a pop song, would that be someone like the edge or Daniel Lanois or one of those yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example. Yeah, um, there's there's a guy in the Smashing Pumpkins who would do Ebo a lot. James Eha would yeah. do these sort of continuous Ebo, but I don't know if that's even as as big of a band as some of the others who would use it. Um, but it's basically what's that? 
it's good fun. It's yeah. good fun to try. Out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what it is basically is, isn't it, it's sort of supposed to simulate using a, a violin bow on a guitar string, right? Like simulating Jimmy yeah, Page. It, I think it just it puts little pulses against the string. So the string vibrates without plucking. So it sounds like it's like a violin kind of thing. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's, it, that, this is just sort of the tip of the iceberg of your level of experimentation. So if we listen to a possessor cue, there might be, just dozens of different little things that you've done that we have, we might not necessarily notice right away unless we really dig deep. Absolutely. Everything's got, everything will have some kind of distortion on it probably. Yeah. <laughs> and you, yeah, I mean, you know, using distortion is, is analog tape distorts anyway, or saturates, oh, you yeah. call it. So it always colors. Distortion is a great coloration, even for, even if, you know, I'm not talking about just full-on fuzz bass or anything. I'm just talking about even for a violin, just to give it some some uh, body. Um, I, I also ha- I have a valve copycat um, tape delay there that has a nice... The Arctic Monkeys use it as an amp because it distorts oh. so nicely. Wow. Um, okay. It's got nice distortion on it. Uh, I've got tons of distortion things. Oh, I've, got a, I've got a treble booster using 70s components that a friend made for me and stuff wow. that you pick up you know so what is what, what is it that you like about scoring because you you said you started not you started out as a guitarist and work you were in, you were in bands and, and such and you've had a career over the last uh, few decades just creating some amazing work um what is it that keeps you scoring well the, the reason i like scoring is because <laughs> I think I think it's quite tricky as a as a musician. I'm really a musician, and rather than a rock musician. Although sure. I, I worked in rock music a lot, I was never I was I was never that kind of guy who would come up with a concept like a David Byrne or okay. or who you know who, who would have this kind of concept that they would run with, and it would be their expression to the world. I I find that difficult to come to terms with because. I think I've always found finding a language quite tricky, you know, an original language. So if I were to write orchestral works, I'd be like, okay, so what's my positioning going to be? Am I going to be a serial composer or am I going to be a minimalist composer? Whereas when I'm writing to picture, I don't have to worry about any of that. I just have to worry about what it's going to do to the drama and to the visuals. And so I will then immerse myself in whatever it takes. Um, So, that for me frees me up just to be really creative without getting really kind of screwed up about what's my positioning in the canon of interesting music. My position is in the canon of interesting film. And I really, I I like that because it's liberating for me. I mean, you can hear and experience that sort of liberation um, in the music I think that it sounds like you're very much energized by working with, with creative, uh, courageous filmmakers. Um, that, that certainly, that certainly rings through as well through the music. Um, so I, I think that, uh, I think people, once they see this movie, uh, and also they can go get the, the score already right now, um, they're, they're going to hear this. All of this stuff, all of what we've been talking about will make a lot of sense when they hear this because it's just such a powerful score. Um, did you have, so before we sign off here, I'm just, I'm interested in, is there, were there any sort of composers who sort of helped inform 
your process? Any anybody who you listen to as an inspiration, or maybe some colleagues who you threw idea, who you throw ideas off of, um, anything of that nature? Um, there there were a few tra- temp tracks in it. Always always are, but sure. um, because I'd already, I'd already provided quite quite a few stuff. Several of them were mine, which is <laughs> right, which is really handy. And you know, I, I know that Hans Zimmer does that now in order to try and uh, steer um, editors away from using their own the music they like. Oh, so, sure. Um, in terms of yeah, you know, I mean, um, Woods of Canada, um, Brian Eno, um, uh, Steve Reich, was, oh. they're all kind of there in terms of the album ambient stuff yeah um some of the tonal stuff is a little bit like um i used a little kind of serials thing for the second scene oh no the second scene and then the fourth and fifth scenes uh to just give it a really uneasy it's very gentle music but it's very uneasy so it's uh say tonal basically um so it sounds tender but in terms of its sound in terms of its content, it's a little bit edgy. So, I, you know, I use that quite a lot. I, I like that kind of atonal quietude um, because it's not it's not that usual assault in, in your ears, you know, with a with um, a big slab of penderecki or whoever it is. And, you know, <laughs> those kind of guys. But, um, I do do that. I'm good. Come on, you know. Yeah. If it takes, if that's what it takes, fair enough. So, but um, yeah. generally, I'll try to. I think um, the the listeners will get a good idea of what you're referring to if they watch uh, that Twin Peaks uh, season three episode. I think it's nine or eight. The one with um, the atomic bomb is is all Pendrecki. There's no battle. Oh, right, I don't think yeah. There's any battle menti in that one. It's all boom, 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 and it's very powerful. Um, but uh, well, they, all, all of that kind of film scoring comes from Threnody, and it's the Hiroshima one that yeah Pendrecki. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and I like the opening your, of that is, yeah. Sorry, no, go ahead. No, it's just the opening is like it's the, it's the, it's so such a primeval scream. That's my dog, by the way. Um, uh, the opening of that piece is something else. Yeah, yeah, it's it really is. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I, I hope uh, you you know this, these next projects you can't talk about are as fulfilling as Possessor was for you um, and just you know stay safe and healthy the movie's going to be interesting yeah you'll see yeah yeah <laughs> oh it's really nice to talk to you thank you so much for having me on <laughs> <laughs>